Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to continue to uh, share with you in a series engage. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you this morning about how promotion comes, how promotion comes. Because in my life, I've had uh, great successes, successes and, and also in my life, I've had great, uh, great, some, some setbacks, great successes and uh, some setbacks as well. And what's amazing thing to me is what I keep coming back to were the lessons that I learned earlier in my life. And I learned these lessons about purpose and how um, your purpose can survive its own failures. As a young boy, I worked um, to better myself. And I started out you know, pushing a lawnmower up the street and asking our neighbors if I could cut their yard for $5 for the front and $5 for the back. I also would uh, continue to work as I grew and I became a paper boy. And uh, also I continued to work. I became a busboy in one of the local restaurants at 16 years of age. And as I continued to work, as I graduated high school, I had uh, uh, multiple scholarships to college, and, and I quit college after one year. And I started working in a warehouse. And uh, I was always trying to advance myself. And one is I thought that, why should I go to college? Why should I go to school? Because the people that are working right now, I could further myself by making more money now rather than making money in three or four years when I graduated. And I thought it was just, just the best thing to do. And what I found was that um, I was always trying to advance myself, but I was failing at it. And every time I would say to myself, uh, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to stop, but I'm going to go back home. Now, it's important for you to understand that when I talk about going back home, I am not talking about going back to my parents' house. But when I talk about going back home, what I am talking about is returning back to the thing that gave me value in my life. And returning back to the essence of the value of my life was about helping others and serving others rather than trying to advance myself. And so home was getting back to that place of value where my focus was on helping others rather than trying to help myself or focused on helping myself. And so I later went to college and uh, after graduating, I worked on Wall Street with, and began to manage several billion dollars. But, but that's not the point. What is the point is that this strange thing I recognized that throughout the times in my life, where I had great successes, I found myself identifying with that 20-year-old warehouse worker. And it was strange to me that I would be identifying with that 20-year-old warehouse worker because I had had great success beyond my imagination, and he was a failure. It was strange to me that why would I be comparing myself or con connecting myself to this 20-year-old warehouse worker? What I have found, I have found that all of us live our lives in the middle of our experiences and that there are times in our lives when we have great success and it catapults us in one direction. And there are times in our lives when we have setbacks and it moves us into another direction. And the world looks at one as good and it looks at another one as bad. And what I have recognized is that uh, subconsciously you don't know whether it's good or whether it's bad. The only thing you know subconsciously is how you feel emotionally valued, whether you are at one level 
one extreme and the other. And when you, based on how you feel, it determines what you value. And it's important that we recognize that we can get lost in our great successes. It's important that we can recognize that we can get lost in our setbacks. But the thing that connects that is that the recognition that we all have to come back home. We all have to come back to the place that we were created to live according to what the word of God says. Now, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, you may be here today and you know that there is more in you, but you're frustrated because you don't know how to get it out. Let me say that again. You may be here today and you know that there's more in you, but you might be frustrated because you don't know how to get it out. It is my hope today that whether you are at one extreme or the other, whether you are experiencing great successes or you've experienced a, great, a setback in your life, that you would return back home to the place of value that God has placed on your life. Amen. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, it says it like this. It says that God has made us, come on champions, would you read that with me like you know it is a word of his power? Let's read it together now. God has made us what we are and given us new lives from Jesus Christ. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. I want you to focus on two words there. I want you to focus on the word spend and focus on the word helping. The word spend. It's interesting how God sees your life as a currency. He sees your life as a resource. And do you know what? If you have money, if you have a dollar bill, if you have a hundred dollar bill, it does you no good having a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or ten dollars. It does you no good unless you exchange it for something that is of greater value at that time. Uh, you can't eat a ten dollar bill and be satisfied. But what you can do is go to Burger, Bernie Burger Bus. What you can do is go to Five Guys. Okay, what you can do is go to the Rib Shack. What you can do is go to Ensalada, for those of you that are a little softer. What you can do is go to Carabas, a Papa Do's. Isn't it interesting when people come from Louisiana, they always want to go to Papa Do's? When people come from other, I want to go to Papa Do's. Well, it's going to be a long line. It's going to take us an hour and a half. That's okay. But, but, but notice this, you can't eat, you can't eat a, a money, but what you can do, if you're hungry, what you can do is you can exchange it for something that provides value for, for your life. And so what you do, you spend it on food. You can't wear a $10 bill, but what you can do is you can exchange it for a shirt and a pair of pants at Mr. Goody's. See, that's where I used to shop at in college. Mr. Goodies, and I was clean to the bone. Those of you who do not know what Mr. Goodies is, it's right down there on Crab River Road. As you're going to the freeway, it's on the left-hand side right by Bucky's. It's called Mr. Goodies. So, so, so notice what God says that you should spend your life or trade your life for something that provides greater value to you. 
And, and he said that what it is is that helping others, helping others. Now, it doesn't seem like that it would provide greater value because you've released something that you have, not really certain as how what comes back to you, that how good it's going to be. But God has made us a promise, and one of the things that he's done is he shares some principles with us. And many times we don't know, once we release something, we don't know um, the value and the significance and the satisfaction that it will bring when it comes back to us. Uh, but one of the things that God has done in the church, in the church, uh, Paul writes in a very powerful way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And, and he says these words. He says, and God, come on champions, would you read that with me together now? And God has appointed these in the church First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administ whoa, 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 whoa. What's that word? Helps. In the middle of that great gift of an apostle, in the middle of that great gift of a teacher and a prophet, in the middle of that great gift of healing, he places that great ministry of helps in the church, as significant as it is of an apostle, a teacher, a prophet, and gifts of healing. He says that there is a ministry that everyone can have that I have placed in the local church. And he calls it what church? He calls it helps. Oh my God. He calls it helps. And so one of the interesting things that we see is that people frequently ask, how come uh, how does God decides or chooses whom he will promote? Because he, although God, uh, and I'll say it like this, loves everyone, he's not obligated to use everyone he loves. Oh, that's, that's so good. That's so, although God loves everybody, he's not obligated to use everyone he loves. And uh, one of the things we can recognize is that uh, God does not choose you simply because you are gifted or talented. And but Paul gives us characteristics of who God chooses to promote and how God chooses to promote us in life. And he does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It's a short verse, but it's a powerful verse. And as we read it together, let's read it like we know it is the word of his power. Now, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found that a man be found what? Faithful. That a man be found what? Faithful. That a man be found faithful. And this is a, a, an amazing word because what I want to do is I want to focus first on the word faithful. And then we'll look at the word found. But the word faithful, what it means is that it means someone who is trustworthy. Someone who is reliable. Someone who is dependable. And it tells us that first a person must be found faithful, trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. A person who God has found or promoted, who God promotes, must be found to be first faithful, trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. And when we think about that, it tells us that uh, God finds these people. And, and I began to look up that word found in the Greek, and we get our word discovered. 
And it tells us that for someone to be found, they must be discovered. And what that means then is that God watches over us for long periods of time and in many different circumstances to see if we are faithful, if we are trustworthy, if we are reliable, and if we are dependable. And he watches over long periods of the time and, he, and it tells us that God is looking for our actions, he's looking at our reactions, he's looking at our attitudes, and he's watching to see how we treat people. He's watching to see how we respond to pressure and whether or not we can stay on track and not be distracted. How many of you know that the more mature you get, the more pressure you have and the more difficult it becomes? Because see, as a child, the amazing thing about it, as a child, all you have to do is eat and sleep and, you know, and, and eat and sleep. But as you grow, as you become mature, you have now greater responsibility and with greater responsibility becomes greater pressure. So as you become a student, now you have to do your homework. You have to get up to go to school. And you have to make your bed and clean your room up. Okay, you have to get up and go to school. But, but notice this. And, and, and some students think they've got it so hard, but just continue to mature and grow up. Because it comes a point in your life where you've now got to get a job. You've got to pay some bills. You've got to uh, buy some food. You've got to pay the mortgage. You got to pay whatever it is. That, and then the pressure begins to mount on you. And so the more maturity and responsibility you have, the greater the pressure. And God is still watching to see if you're going to be faithful, trustworthy, reliable, and dependent. All right, Dependable. Do you know what? Man, pressure is tough. And the more you get, the more you can stray and become distracted by things rather than by the assignment that God has given and the purpose that he's placed in your life. And so uh, let me explain it to you this way. The person that God promotes, he finds by looking over their life in long periods of time to see how uh, are they are trustworthy, reliable, faithful, dependable, and, 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 and also he's looking at their attitudes, their actions, and also when they come under pressure, how they handle themselves, how they treat other people. Yes. Now, let's take a look at this and let's look at it practically. Um, if you are an employer, if you've ever worked anywhere, as an employer, what you would do is that you would watch over an employee and you would see how they act. You would see if you could trust them. You would see if they are dependable. And not that they show up one day late and another day uh, on time or they don't show up at all without calling. You would see if they're reliable. Before you promoted them, you would look at their performance or their actions and how they've handled themselves under pressure. And if they've handled themselves well and they have proven to be trustworthy, they've proven to be reliable and dependable, then what happens? You'll promote them and give them greater responsibility. If we would do that with temporary things, how much more does God do it with eternal things? Because nothing is more important than the impact of people's lives for eternity. 
And so God, too, he looks over us and he looks at us and to see if he can rely on us, if we're dependable, if we're trustworthy, and how we handle ourselves the way we treat other people. Now, we can understand that as it relates to our employer, but this is why and what Paul was saying of how God promotes people. He promotes someone and what he does is he watches to see if they are found, discovered, faithful. Now, I'm going to ask you if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of First, uh, First Samuel. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of First Samuel, I want you to look here. I believe it's the 16th chapter. And uh, let me just give you a little background on this. Uh, that in First Samuel chapter 16, uh, what we find here is that God has, Saul was the king of Israel. And I, I'm going to show you exactly how God has done this. And we can go throughout the Bible to see it. But in First Samuel chapter, First uh, Samuel 15, First Samuel 16, Saul... God had instructed Saul how he wanted, to lead, uh, he wanted him to lead the people. And Saul uh, was concerned about what the people were saying more than what God had said. And so he did not follow the instructions of God. And the Bible says that, the, that God rejected him as the king. And he said to uh, Samuel, he says, Samuel, I want to let you know that I have found for myself another king. So I want you to go to Jesse's house. And when you go to Jesse's house, that you're going to find the next king in Jesse's house. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And as he gets in Jesse's house, he sees Eliab and, and, and he sees his oldest sons and his next oldest son and his next oldest son. And he began to see the older one. He says, my God, surely this is the one. <laughs> That God has chosen. And then he was about to anoint him and God says, no, 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 no. That's not the one that I have cho uh, chosen. See, man looks on the outside, but I look on the where? Inside. And so Samuel's like, okay. And he goes to the next one and he says, and God says, I haven't chosen him. He goes to the next one. God says, I haven't chosen him. And Samuel says, wait a minute. Jesse, is there anybody that's missing from here that should be here. And you know what Jesse says? Jesse says, yeah, 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 yeah. There's my son. Mm. Let's read it together, <laughs> and I'll tell you about this. Let's read verse 10. Let's read verse 10, and let's move it on to uh, verse 11 and 12. Let's read it together now. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Look at this. Seven of his sons began to pass before Samuel. And God says, not that one. Not that one, 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 not that one. And Samuel is like said, look, Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11. Let's read it together now. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is Oh, there's one more. And the one that is not here, he's not here because he's out in the fields keeping the sheep. That David had an assignment. His other brothers were in the house rubbing up against daddy, trying to be the chosen one. And David was not focused on that. There was something on the inside of him that he was out there and he was tending to the sheep because that was the assignment that his father had given him. 
And so when God showed up and was ready to promote someone as the king, that he's looking at all these uh, uh, people that are around his daddy, and he says, I have not chosen him, 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 him. But, 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 but Samuel says, wait a minute, there's got to be somebody else because I know that I know that I know that God said, go to Jesse's house for I found a king for myself. And when he asked, he says, there's one more. And he's out in the fields keeping the sheep. Let's look at verse 12. Let's read it together. Now, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Oh, he was kind of like, you know, me. Ruddy. I don't know what ruddy is, but but I can be that if it's David, you know. Let's start at the top and let's read it again now. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this. Oh, my God. God said, arise. I want you to anoint him because this is the one. So notice this. Samuel passed seven of his sons. Or Jesse passed seven of his sons in front of Jesse. And Jesse knew that God had not chosen him. But, but notice this. He brought in the eighth one. What does eight represent? A new beginning. Uh, and so he brought in the eighth one. And God says, this is the one. Notice what happens. God usually will select someone who's already doing what he's called them to do. And so he already selects someone who is, is working, who is faithful, who is trustworthy. He promotes those who is trustworthy, who is reliable, and who is dependable. And I want to show you how significant that is because as God chose David, what God was doing, mm, ah, I got to show you this one. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, verse 15. Notice this. So David now has been anointed king. And when he's anointed king, did David go to the palace and say, hey, Saul, you know, God has rejected you. I'm the king now. No, he did not. He had an anointing to be king. But you know what David did? Look at it in verse 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 15. Let's read it again together now. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Oh, my God, look at this. God has anointed him king. Uh, 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 Saul now has an evil spirit, so David in his gifting goes and plays, and when he plays, his anointing causes the evil spirit to go away. But David knows he has a responsibility, and his responsibility is to tend the sheep. And so he would leave the palace, and he would go to his father's house, and he would continue to do what he had been uh, assigned to do. Isn't it amazing that he's anointed to be king, but what he does is he does not try to get him a position, but he goes back into the field as a shepherd boy. And the amazing thing is that by that, God knew that he was reliable. God knew that he was dependable. God knew that he was trustworthy. And what God was doing was preparing him for what he had prepared for him. Because there came a day when David began to do what his father had instructed him to do, and he says, boy, boy, I want you to take some cheese, and I want you to take some bread, and I want you to go to the battlefield, and when you go over there, I want you to take this to your brothers. And David now is walking up, and as David walks up, he hears Goliath talking to the nation, cussing their God. 
And David looks up as a little shepherd boy and said that, whoa, wait a minute now. We can't put up with this. And they go, shh, you're just trying to get attention. Read the story. You're just trying to get attention. You just want everybody to see you. And David goes, no, is there not a cause? Is there not this little uncircumcised Philistine is messing with our God and I won't tolerate it. Why? Because God will cause him to fall at my hands. Wait a minute now. How is God going to cause him to fall? David now goes out to battle him. Saul says, you're you're not equipped. You don't know what you're doing. Look, you're going out there without armor. You're going out there without a sword. You don't get and understand what needs to be done. I'm not sure I'm going to put the nation in your hands. And you know what? David says, no, I'm going. And the amazing thing is they were in shouting distance. And Saul says, here's my armor. You know what David says? I have not tested that yet. That's how you fight. But that's not how God has trained me to fight. And he says these words is just as I have killed the bear and the lion with my hands, God will cause this uncircumcised Philistine to fall. What was God doing? David takes this stone and he throws a stone and he hits him and kills him, cuts his head off. But why was he ready for the moment that God had prepared him for? It was because when he was a shepherd boy, he was anointed to be king, but he wasn't ready yet. He had an anointing, but his anointing was preparing him for God, what God had already prepared for him. He wasn't ready yet. And so what did God do? God was training him as a shepherd over the sheep. That when a bear and when a lion would come, David would protect the sheep. And he was learning and proving and testing that whenever I get into the battle, that I don't have to trust what everybody else is doing. I can trust what God has perfected in me. I can trust the gifting that God has given me. And what God was doing was preparing him for, the, for a significant moment in his life that seemed insignificant. And because David was so humble, was ready to, so faithful, so reliable, so dependent, and would always return back to the assignment that had been given to him. God perfected in him a gift to kill enemies that were larger than he was. Because you know what's amazing about that? They began to sing songs about David and Saul killing a thousand, but David killing ten thousands. They began to exaggerate it. Saul got mad. But you know what David did? David knew that he had been anointed to be king, but David did not try to force himself into the kingdom. The Bible says that he said that I will not touch God's anointed. And he began to honor. He began to walk. He began to run. He began to hide. David began to be prepared simply because of the heart that God had given him. And isn't it wonderful to know that it doesn't matter how thin you are, God's not looking at your outside. Isn't it wonderful to know that no matter how wide you are, God's not looking at your outside. Isn't it wonderful to know that if you've got a head full of hair, God's not looking at your outside. Isn't it great? I am thrilled to know that when you've got the haircut of heaven, that God's not looking at your outside. What is he doing? He's looking at the inside. And he's looking over a long period of time to discover 
if a person can be found faithful, trustworthy, reliable, and dependent. And if they're dependable, what God does is he promotes them to another level in life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we came to a place where all of us were at a place where we were pursuing God's work, where all of us had healthy relationships, all of us were healed in our our bodies, and all of us were financially empowered, and no one thought highly of themselves. And they did not evaluate what they had themselves but they considered everything in common. And no matter whether they had great success or they had significant setbacks, they always returned home as the the first church did. The Bible says that as they did that and they honored one another based on the gifts that they had and who they were, that there was no one that had need of anything. And every prayer that they they had one voice, they had one heart, they had one mind, they had one thought. And all of them were promoted to a level of living the life that God had promised. And when they prayed, every prayer that they prayed was answered. What a picture that would be today. And can you believe that if we prayed in this place and we prayed wherever we were and God answered every prayer that we prayed, can you imagine how the kingdom would be expanded? If every church in our area, every church in in the country, in the world, when they prayed, that every prayer was answered. How many of you know that? there would be a generation that would experience the power of God. But it only happens when there are people that God can look beyond how they're dressed up and what they look like into their hearts and find them faithful, trustworthy, reliable, and dependable.